Hey, it is good to see every single one of you here this morning. We are so glad that you're in this place with us, and we thank, thank, want to thank you for squeezing in uh, here too. As we always say, even though there may not be room for you physically in the gym all the time and you have to wait for a seat, there is always room for you uh, here in our family. So just want to get everybody caught up on, on where we're at as a church community. If you've been around the last couple weeks, you know that we're right in the middle of our Building Hope Together campaign. And God has been doing some amazing things. As I said, it's not just about money. It's not just about buildings. And if we haven't communicated that by now, man, I don't know what. But uh, it's gather, it's grow, and it's give. And the gathering and the growing has been an amazing thing to watch, uh, to see a lot of you developing habits of reading scripture, habits of uh, uh, going into prayer with God on a regular basis. Uh, Some of you have come up to me and said, oh man, Pastor John, this is actually forcing me to listen to God because I want to know what I'm supposed to give. And what if he tells me a number? I'm like, well, then you should probably do it, you know? And it's, it's forcing you to learn to listen to God's voice, and that's a good thing. That's what we're called to do. And so in that spirit of prayer, some of you have uh, walked by on your way in this morning. You see that big uh, banner in the back that has pictures of what our future facility is going to look like. Right next to that, there is a clear box that is not for your money. Uh, we are not taking donations uh, today. That is for your prayers, which is just important, if not more important to who we are as a church. So there's little slips of paper back there. There's also uh, little note cards on every single one of your chairs. Those of you in the back, few rows may not have them, that those extra rows got set up, but maybe our ushers can uh, grab some note cards for those people in the back couple rows uh, so that they have one as well. If you don't have a pen, uh, you can just kind of elbow the person next to you and have them pass down that basket. But what I want you to do is during the sermon, I mean, pay attention, as you always do, I'm watching you. Uh, During the sermon, write down your prayers for our future facility. Write down your prayers on those note cards, and then on your way out today, drop them in that that box back there. And our hope is, and our desire is, this is going to be my challenge for our building team, is to somehow get your prayers to be physically a part of our church. To put them in the walls, to put them in the floor, Put them above the toilet. I don't know where they're going to be, but they're going to be in there somewhere. So they'll, they'll be a part of it. So write down those prayers and stick them in the box uh, back there. So just kind of be thinking about that, asking God, what do you want me to pray for our church over the next several years during the course of this sermon? And if something kind of pops out to you uh, during the message today, write that down. Uh, we would encourage you uh, to do that. Because here's the thing. We would miss the point, though, even if all the ways that we're growing as a church, we would miss the point if we thought that this campaign was all about us, right? If we thought it was all about us and just how we're going to grow and, and what God is doing here, but we would miss the point if we thought it was only for us, but instead for a world around us and a city around us that is in desperate need of hope. You certainly have heard about the uh, deadly typhoon that went through the Philippines and the death toll continues to rise. I don't have an update on my uh, compassion child, Cedric, who is in the Philippines. I talked a little bit about that last week and just, it's weird to not know like if, if he's alive or not. And so this is very real and a lot of you have been affected by tragedies like that and, and we think about the typhoon. We, we, you don't have to look beyond the evening news or the newspaper to realize that we live in a world in need of hope. Hunger, homelessness, broken families, abuse, scandal, and that was just this last week. Not only around the world, but right here in our city. I don't know if you know, but Des Moines has one of the largest populations of displaced refugees from war-torn 
countries all over the world. I don't know if you know that Des Moines has one of the highest population, homeless populations for kids in the nation. I don't know if you know that. Saw an email come through. Uh, just, I'm connected with a lot of different organizations here in the city and saw an email come through from several different pantries that our shelves are bare. And there's a really high need right now as the weather gets colder. And it's easy for us to focus on those signs because they're, they're obvious and they're visible. But, but what about spiritual poverty? What about relational poverty? Loneliness, addiction, and pain are not partial to how much money is in your checkbook. Right? All of us experience those things a time or two. God has placed us right in the middle of a city that is in need of hope. And people have asked, John, you keep saying this, you know, the campaign's not really about money, but, you know, really it is. You're just kind of saying that to get everybody riled up. And why do you keep saying that this campaign is not just about money? It's a giving campaign, after all. And I would just say, come spend a couple years in the city and open up your heart. And then you will know why this is not about money. This is about God changing lives. And then you'll know. Because ultimately, this campaign and what we're going to do next weekend, ultimately, this campaign is to answer the question, what kind of a church are we going to be? What kind of a church are we now? But also, what kind of a church are we going to be in the years to come? In fact, there's been a lot written. And if you look up uh, urban church or urban church plants or urban church development, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of articles thousands of books, and there's been a lot written on this, that there's these, these kind of four different categories of the way that you can be an urban church, different ways that you can do that. And I want to just unpack those really quick. First is that there are churches that are merely in the city, churches that are in the city. And you might think, oh, John, that sounds great. Let's, we're a church in the city. Geographically, yes. But their desire is to get people in the doors to hear the gospel, and that is a great goal but often that's where it ends, that the ministry rarely extends outside the walls. And these, these churches are geographically in the city, but they aren't effectively engaged with the people or the culture around them. So there's to be a church in the city. It's like, ah, it's not quite, it's not quite it. The second uh, kind of uh, approaches, the, the approach that they give about being an urban church is to be a church against the city. Because, you know, we live in a dark, evil world and there's sinners all around us and we just kind of want to be a holy huddle and just keep all the goodness to ourselves and keep the bad out. We don't want to associate with those people outside the wall. So we're just going to be a church against the city and stand against them. The surrounding culture is something to be avoided. But something about that goes, ah, that's not it either. And some people say, oh, no, here's what we need to do. Kind of the opposite end of that, not being against, but we want to be a church of the city. We just want to look at the culture around us and say, you know, whatever they're doing, we're just going to adapt that. Even if it goes against our beliefs, even if it goes against scripture, we're just going to try to be hip and cool and relevant and do whatever we can as a church to just kind of blend in with whatever's going on in the culture around us. But then for some reason... We think that we have to sacrifice who we are in a part of the gospel. And what we do is that we end up, you know the, the, uh, this little light of mine? Yeah. Hide it under a bushel. No, right? 
Everything we need to know we learned in Sunday school, right? Hide it under a bushel? No. And that leads us to this last approach. And for that, I want you to look it up with me. Jeremiah chapter 29. I know it's one of your favorite books in the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to start at verse 4. And we'll discover one final approach that I think might be a little closer. Everybody open up your Bibles. Make sure that you have one. want to look at this together. Jeremiah, it's in the Old Testament. It's one of the prophets. Jeremiah 29.4. And when we arrive on the scene, God's people are in exile, meaning they've been taken from their home in Judah, and they are in exile in Babylon. Babylon is not exactly a resort vacation spot, if you're keeping score at home. Babylon is a place where they were essentially refugees, stolen from their home. They're in a city that's not their own, that's dark and broken and in need of hope as well. So, kind of relevant to us here today. So think about it. If you've been ripped away from your home and you're in Babylon, you're so far away, you have no idea what's going on, you don't want to be there, all you want to do is go home, the the people surrounding you are your enemies, you live surrounded by your enemies. Is that a place that you would want to just stick a fork in the ground and say, this is my new home? Probably not, right? And that's kind of the attitude of God's people. And then comes the challenge of what it means to be God's people in this city. Look at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. All the men are going, woo And give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then here's the kicker. Verse 7. Let's read this nice and loud together up on the screen. Let's read it together. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait, what? Come again, God? What did you say? We're in Babylon. You're saying, Mary, Have sons and daughters? Have your sons and daughters have sons and daughters? You want us to actually put down roots in this city? Yes, God says. I want you to pour into your little corner of the world here in Babylon. Whether it's ideal or not, whether you're in a transition in your life right now or not, I want you to pour into this city like you're going to be there for the rest of your life. None of this drive-by ministry anymore. None of this helicopter ministry anymore, in and out. I want you to plant gardens. If you're going to plant a garden, you should probably be there to reap the benefits, right? Stay. Even pray for it. Be people who are invested in every fabric of the society with God's love. Be people, get this, who are not just in the city, not against the city, not of the city, but... For the city. Everybody say, for the city. city. And to be a church for the city is to be a church that does not compromise on the gospel one bit and yet commits itself to the spiritual and social well-being of the city. Because get this, nothing is more hip or relevant than the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Nothing could be more cool. Nothing could be more relevant to a city that is in need of hope. Or put it this way, a church for the city 
is a church full of people who are willing to sacrifice everything except the gospel for the sake of the gospel. Are we a people who are willing to sacrifice everything, including our comfort, our security, our convenience, to sacrifice everything but the gospel? That doesn't change for the sake of communicating the gospel. In fact, when we started a long time ago here, our uh, six years, a long time ago, I'm an old man, six years ago, um, our missions team was thinking about this and like, what are we going to do as a church? What are we going to be about? And we came across this story. So just imagine this with me for a second, okay? Suppose you pulled into your church building's parking lot one Sunday morning and noticed something unusual. The church had disappeared. Didn't burn down, didn't get vandalized, just gone. Just completely gone. And after you kind of get your wits about you and realize you're not hallucinating or anything like that, you decide, where's my church? (laughs) The the people and the building, they're, they're not here. And so you start driving around town because it disappeared and you start looking for it. What kind of response do you think that you would get if you started driving around Des Moines and you realized, where did Hope Des Moines go? It's not here anymore. It just disappeared. Does anybody know where it is? What kind of response do you think that you would get? Oh, what? I've never heard of it. If somebody said that, that would crush me. Oh, what? Hope Des Moines? What? What what do you guys do? Or, instead, (laughs) would people notice that we're gone? Not just the building, but us. The story asks, if your church disappeared, would they miss you? Would anyone care? And most importantly, if Hope Des Moines was to leave Des Moines tomorrow, would people weep? Not the people sitting here today, the people out there. Because we've been a church for the city. And so the story ended with this question. It said, imagine as you were driving around town looking for the church, what if everybody that you came up to instead asked, oh, let me help you. We have to find Hope Des Moines. We have to find the people. Let me me find you. Let's do whatever we can to find Hope Des Moines. I don't know where it went. I don't know where the people went, but I'm desperate. We have to find it because your church, I don't know where we would be as a city without Hope Des Moines. What if that was people's response? I have, to, I have to help you find it. I don't know where we'd be. And so for the past five years, that has been our desire. And we've made great progress, but we still have much to learn about being a church for the city. That's what it means, that they, people would weep. <laughs> because just like God's people in Babylon, we've said... We're staying right here. And thanks to Scripture, we don't just get this command from God, go be a church for the city. We get a blueprint on what that looks like, and it's really easy. It's the Sunday school answer, which is... Okay, everybody up to KQ. We need to review this, right? (laughs) The Sunday school answer is always either a squirrel or Jesus, okay? So which one do you think it is, right? Jesus. Jesus, right? That's the blueprint, right? Here's the thing. Often we just pay attention to what Jesus says, and that's extremely important. 
But what I want to do today is look at a few ways and how Jesus lived. Because he is the blueprint for what it means to be the physical presence of God in a place. He would know something about that. Right? So we're going to look at three things that Jesus did in his life that teach us how to be a church for the city. Let's start in John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1. It's in the back third of your Bible. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, usually, we read this around Christmas time, which is coming soon. Do you have your Christmas shopping done? Ha! December 23rd for me. Uh, but it's coming soon, and normally we read this during Christmas time, but I want you to read it today with your I'm a missionary hat on. I'm a missionary here in the city of Des Moines. John chapter 1, verse 14, and we read this. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That short little verse is so powerful. The word, Jesus, became flesh, became man, became God with skin on. There's a fancy church word for that, and it's called the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. God became incarnate in our world. He lived with us. I love how the message version puts it. It said, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. How would your life change if Jesus moved onto your block? <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say too, right? Instead of staying at a distance, God knew that in order to reach the people that he loved, he had to go. And that's the first thing that we're called to do is to go. Jesus said, I can't stay here. I have to go to my people. And at the end of his ministry, so fast forward, at the very end of his ministry, Jesus comes to us, his disciples, and he says this from John chapter 20. Let's read it together nice and loud. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide up on the screen. Let's read this together. Do we have that? We're getting there? We don't have it? Okay, we don't have it. That's okay. All right, I'll read it for you. John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Just think about that for a second. As I have left my comfort zone and entered into the messiness of people's lives, so in that same way you are to go as well. You can't look like Jesus as a church and wait for broken, hurting, lost people who don't know Jesus to come to you. You have to go to them. And so almost six years ago, a group of people decided to go and start this crazy thing called City Branch. And they called a 25-year-old punk kid to say, let's lead the charge, let's go do this. And he really knew what he was doing. <laughs> Think about this. If, if being missional is to go, being incarnational is to stay. Number one, to be a church for the city, we got to go. We got to go to where he calls us. And number two, we got to stay. We got to be committed. But here's the thing we're not good at, at commitments. <laughs> as a society, are we? Whether it's a contract at the fitness center, right? People make their New Year's resolutions in January and they last till January 4th, right? <laughs> We're not good at commitments, whether it's the fitness center or relationships or serving a city. But if we learn anything from Jesus, it's that mission requires incarnation. 
dwelling. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a long-term commitment. Going and staying in a city to be a church for the city are inseparable. And that's the second key, stay. In fact, a pastor friend of mine uh, from Tacoma, Washington, his name is Jeff. And he was uh, in his late 20s, as I was, and he was moving to Tacoma uh, in Washington, which is one of the poorest cities in Washington, and uh, to plant a church. And he had all these dreams and visions, and so he's like, I, I want to be a church for the city. And so I, I went and I, and I met with the city officials. I even met with the mayor. I met the mayor of Tacoma. And I, and I got, told him all my dreams of, this is, we're going to be a great church, and we're going to be a church for the city, and we're going to make all these changes, and, and I'm so excited, and I got this group of people that's going to come with me, and we're going to plant this church. And the mayor said, Jeff, you know, I, I love your ideas, and I love your plans. And I'm not against it, but I want you to know I'm a little jaded. Because I'm tired of people coming to Tacoma to plant their church and then leave in a couple years when it gets hard or when it gets messy or when it doesn't give people the warm fuzzies that they're looking for every single weekend and it doesn't give them notoriety. And so they leave. You're about the seventh church planter that's come into my office and made a whole bunch of promises. And then I never hear from them again. Because mission is not always safe or convenient. Folks, Jesus came and he dwelt among us for 30 years. And he was not noticed. Before he did any ministry... He spent 30 years walking in your shoes, learning the rhythms of the culture. Jesus came and he dwelt among us for 30 years and he was not noticed. Are we willing to not be noticed? Or do we serve for the notoriety that it brings us? Will you stay? Are we willing to stay and live in this city long enough to convince the people around us that we love them with our lives? Not, we erected a church building, you come to us. Are we willing to go to them? That's what this campaign is all about, to be, have an incarnate facility right in the heart of the city because we have gone and many of you have followed that call and that's why you're sitting in an elementary school gym for worship for pity sakes we've gone the question for us in this giving campaign is will we stay will we stay because it would have been much easier to not do this whole satellite thing right It would be much easier to not move to a neighborhood and, where's my church building? Oh, it's the elementary school gym, right? It would be much easier to not have to set up your own chair, to make your own coffee. It would be much easier to not have to, we've asked so many of you to open up your living rooms because you are our church classrooms. You're the educational wing of our church. (laughs) It'd be much easier to not do any of that, but then we would have missed out on not just talking about, but living the Incarnation. 
In fact, this fall, I've been uh, preaching out at our West Des Moines campus uh, a time or two, and uh, it's, it's awesome. It's absolutely incredible. And do you know what I talk about when I go out there? Yeah, I tell some funny jokes and do my little thing. Do you know what I talk about? I talk about you and how good-looking you are, how talented you are, so proud of you. No, I do. I talk about you. And it's usually the same groups of people over and over that I talk about. I talk about my group of guys that I meet with weekly. I, in, in my men's group, I, I talk about those of you that I've got to visit in the hospital and be by your bedside. I talk about those of you that I've got to have dinner in your homes, uh, to have a meeting in your basement or a meeting on the golf course, which is the best kind of meeting. I talk about those of you that helped my wife and I move. So I talk about you. And because there's nothing more natural for me to do than to talk about the people that I love, the people that I'm doing life with. And, but people tend to come up to me and they say, John, like every time you come, you tell the same stories about the same people. And you know what I say? I didn't leave, <laughs> right? I didn't leave. They're, they're my family, right? You don't just stop talking about your kids, right? You don't just say, well, they, they were born. I, I had a kid once, right? They're your family. Stay and make your neighborhood your family. Stay and make the city your family. That's what we're after with this campaign, to not make the incarnation a one-time event at Christmas, but to make the incarnation our lifestyle. The way that we run as a church. This is how we do it. You want to know how we do it? Yeah, we're missional. But what's more important than missional is incarnational. Will you stay? Will you stay? Because... The reality is that when Jesus walked this earth, he didn't just say, boom, I was born as a baby. Wasn't that cool? See ya. He walked in our shoes. I think about them walking along and the disciples are walking. Imagine you're walking with Jesus and you see this short little guy up in the tree named Zacchaeus. Jesus has two options. He can say, that's a tax collector. Nobody likes tax collectors. And if he wants to get to me, I'll just let him get to me. He can just come to me. But what does your Savior do with the crowds around him? He's a celebrity. Everybody wants to be with Jesus. And there's people grabbing, probably wanting autographs and all sorts of stuff. And who does he notice? The outcast, the lost, the one hiding up in a tree. And he points up and he says, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is going, oh no, I'm going to get condemned. He's like God or something. And what does Jesus say? I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. What could be more incarnational? Jesus didn't stay up in heaven and go, Zacchaeus, shape up or ship out. He comes down and walks the dirty roads of Palestine to look up in that tree and see Zacchaeus and point him out and saying, I am going to be involved in your life. I'm here to stay. I'm having dinner at your house, Zacchaeus. They're walking along one day, and there's a woman that's been caught in adultery that's been thrown out in the town square, naked, completely naked in front of the entire town. Jesus is the son of God. He's busy. He's important. He's got stuff to do. And he's walking by, and what does he do? 
he steps out right into the middle of the battle, and I can imagine steps right in front of this woman who's desperately trying to cover up, and she is surrounded by the religious elite holding giant rocks ready to kill her. And what does Jesus do? He steps right into the middle of the situation, looks at them, and says, the one of you without sin, why don't you go ahead and throw it first? She's bracing herself. And one by one, those rocks, dunk, dunk, hit the ground. And Jesus steps in, I can imagine, he lifts up that woman. And he holds her cheek. And he looks her in the eyes. And he says, where's everybody at? Is there nobody here to condemn you? Well, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. I bet she never, ever forgot that day. And you can't do that from the comfort and safety of whatever your comfort zone is. If we're going to be a church for the city, we can't wait for people to come to us. We have to go to them. And that's the misconception, folks. The misconception that I, that I would be totally scared of is that when we get our future building, that we will somehow forget that, that we will somehow think, oh, now we've arrived. Now we can kick our feet up and sip lemonade. We've got a beautiful church building. Oh, what's going out there in the city? Oh, it doesn't matter. We've got a building now. We're legit. Well, we're legit right now, and what makes us legit is that we don't stay, is that we go. That's what makes us a legit church. It's not so we can put, put our feet up and be comfortable because that's not what Jesus came to do. Instead, this future building, when you look at those pictures, I want you to think missionary outpost. I want you to think training center. I want you to think of that building. Whenever you see that building, there's arrows going in and there's arrows going out constantly. In, out, in, out. In, the lost, the hurting, the broken. Us, to get trained and equipped. The arrows going out, missionaries. We're a missionary outpost. We're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Amen. In and out, in and out constantly to go to a world that needs hope, to go to all those mission fields that God is sending us to. Because after all, and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, buildings don't change people's lives. Love does. Buildings don't change people's lives. Jesus living through each of you, that's what changes it. And that's our final key to being a church for the city is a deep commitment to love. And I'm not talking about some cheesy, wishy-washy love. Oh, I fell into love. I fell out of love. Can you imagine as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, he said, ah, I think I fell out of love with you. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. Will you stay? Love the way that I have loved you, Jesus says. And and sometimes when we hear that, we need to love the way that Jesus loves. That can seem very overwhelming and daunting, but it might be helpful for us to have a concrete example of what that looks like. And I came across this story of Lindsay. I've shared this story with some of you that are a part of our mentoring program. And uh, Lindsay is a teacher in inner city New York in a place in one of the most poorest, violent neighborhoods of the Bronx. And not only did she go, she stayed. And as you're going to see in this video, she's learning how to see her classroom as her mission field and love deeply. And so as you watch this video, don't just think about a teacher and her students. Think about 
living incarnational wherever God has placed you. Let's take a look. When I first moved to New York City, I thought I knew why I was coming here. It was going to be an adventure. I had my own agenda. I had no idea how much I would fall in love with the kids of the city and how much they would teach me about myself and change my life. I treasure my morning commutes on the subway. It's my time. Sometimes it's my only time with God. In those moments, I know his love for me, and I know that that's going to carry on throughout my day, and I know it's going to help me to do my job well. A lot of our kids at our school go home to shelters. They go home to homes where they are in charge. They see people get shot in front of their apartment door. Life has not been easy for them or kind to them. Morning. Good morning. Many of my students haven't been loved well. They've been abandoned. They've been promised things that have never come. They've been promised relationships with their fathers or mothers that have never happened. And so they're just worn. They're weathered. And they don't trust love. On the first day of school, the first thing that I tell them is, I've been thinking about you all summer. Like, I love you already. You may not believe this, but you can't earn my love. You could make straight A's all year and have perfect behavior all year, or you can get detention three times a week and I'm going to love you the same. And then I spend all year trying to prove it. Growing up, and especially now, even as an adult, I still long for that love and acceptance, and God has shown that to me and given that to me so that I can go and give these kids the same love and acceptance that they have always wanted, too. Over time, I really do believe this classroom becomes a safe haven for them place where they feel accepted and they know they're going to be safe and it's comfortable. I think God loves these kids so much, more than I could ever hope to love them. But I think He wants them to rest and to be happy. I think He wants to heal their hearts. So for Lindsay, for her corner of the world, her mission field is her classroom. And in a beautiful way, every time I watch that, for, it's just a video I got off the internet and it gets me every time. Because um, I think that's a picture of how God is calling us to be a church for the city. And maybe when you came to Hope Des Moines, you had no idea what it would be like. You know, for Lindsay, she came with her own Agenda, and she was looking for a place to get her needs met. But like Lindsay, I know that I, like many of you, have fallen in love, not with the kids of the classroom, but with the people of this city. And I, I can't imagine doing anything else. 
and we just discovered that just like those kids, we live in a city that is weathered and worn, and there's a lot of people out there that we're trying to reach that don't trust love. That don't trust love. And, and maybe just like she says to those kids, I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. That just like she says to those kids, you may not believe this, but you can't earn my love. Like, do you know that this morning? Because we can talk about all the mission and all the serving and all the outreach we're going to do all day long. But for some of you, you don't trust the Father's love for you. You, don't, you know it, but you don't know it. It's not the defining reality in your life that you are loved by your Father. And you can get straight A's or you can get detention three times a week. And his love for you is not going to change. Do you know that this morning? Because that's what we're called to do is to be filled up by his love so we have something to give, so we have something to offer to the city. What does that look like? And so when I watch that, I think that classroom is what I want our facility to be like. A place where people can come and feel safe and loved and where God can heal our hearts. And just like Lindsay, it takes dedication and it takes consistency. Because it's a lot easier for us to be passive than to pursue. And I, I think loving the city is a pretty big concept. And so some of you are thinking, great, let's go love the city. You know, where do I start? And so I want to be a little daring to you this morning uh, with you. And it would seem to me that being a church for the city, if we're going to make it really practical... It has a lot to do with romancing a woman. That's the response that I thought I would get. Do I have your attention now? Now just go with me, think about it. What would have happened if we applied a few basic principles about loving a woman or romancing a woman to loving the city? So guys, get out your note sheets because this is the best I got. And ladies, you can send your complaints to goodtryjohn at gmail.com. So really quick, I want to tell you three things. How are we going to do this? Number one, develop a posture of listening. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but your role as a man is to listen to her heart and let her tell you what she needs. Do a lot more listening than talking. And by all means, please don't get out your tool chest and try to fix it. Ladies, amen. Listen. No suggestions, no fixes unless they're asked for. And what if we did the same thing in the city? What if we did the same thing as missionaries? In fact, Jesus did this when he came to the beggar, he didn't or the, the blind man, he didn't just heal him. He said, What do you need? What do you want? And so what if we did that for the city? <laughs> what if we listen to people? And for the last five years, that's what we've done. That's why a lot of you are sitting here because a couple people in the first year of this church said, there are people that are in shelters. There are people that are living under bridges and they need a place to call church. They need a church home. And so we listened. And five years later, breakfast club. I love it. Because we listened to the school, we realized that 60% of the kids in this school don't have a father in the home. And so we listened. We didn't say, we're Hope Des Moines and we're here to do all these things. We listen. The guy who invented the stethoscope is quoted as saying, if you use my tool, listen to your patients. They are telling you how to heal them. 
listen to the city. It will tell you how to heal it. And when we listen well, we will then know how to serve. And that's the second thing. Guys, you taking notes? Listen, serve. It just might be the biggest awakening. It was for me when I got married. I thought, oh, marriage, it's just like being a bachelor. It's all about me. No. And now with a kid, I'm number three. I'm on the bottom, right? I'm on the bottom not to complain. I'm on the bottom to serve. Because our Savior got out a bowl and towel and washed some feet. That's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to serve. And for almost six years, that's what we've been doing. We've been listening, serving the city. Listening, serving the city. And any guy will tell you, well, any lady will tell you too, if you do that long enough with a woman that you're madly in love with, you don't just stay dating for the rest of your life. Because after a while, that lady will say, so what's going on? Where's this all headed? What's the deal? Is this going anywhere? And most importantly, she will say to you, are you committed to me? Which is the third principle of loving a woman or the city. At some point, commitment. And so four years ago, a strapping young man sat in a Hope Des Moines men's life group here with five other men staring across the table of donuts and coffee and looking that 25-year-old punk kid in the eyes and saying, what's the deal, Annenson? Are you going to marry this woman already or what? Because at some point, you have to stop talking about commitment and just do it. And so, on New Year's Day, 2009, after an Iowa Hawkeye Bowl victory, Good timing, huh? This nervous wreck brought Tiffany Weir over to his home church and on the steps at the altar, shaking, shaking, because it's a commitment, gets down on one knee and says, I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. And guys, when you get down on that knee, you're saying, I'm here to serve you. What this giving campaign is about is about us getting in a posture of serving to the city of Des Moines and saying, we're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. If God lays it on your heart to join that mission next week, be here. And I just ask you to do three things. Pray, listen, and take a leap of faith. Whatever you can give. And we are going to say to the city of Des Moines, we're here. Not because it's some great slogan, because we're just doing what our Savior did. Go, stay, love. Amen? Let's stand together and pray.